we're back. Back with another Letterman Jacket pod. Back before the Sooners get a visit this weekend from SMU. And back with the bearded and beautiful and bombastic Todd Lizenby, my sellout crowd colleague. Todd, how we doing? What's going on in your world? And uh, how are we feeling in what is officially week two of the college football season? I'm all about the alliteration, Eli. I'm ecstatic. I'm excited. I'm exuberant. That's good. Uh, I'm a little bit exhausted, if I'm going to be honest with you. It was our first. It was the first time that we were reminded. Oh yeah, by the way, we work seven days a week now for the next, you know, eight months or whatever. So, yep. uh, you know, it was a little bit of a slap in the face, but it was aside from the uh, the mismatch down in Norman, which you know. Not that it was bad for Sooners fans, but for any neutral observer, there wasn't a whole lot to that one. There were a few good moments over the weekend. I mean, Clemson-Duke was a great way to kind of round everything out. Uh, nice. I, I have a colleague, I can't remember which one, that predicted Clemson in the uh, NCAA uh, college football playoff this year. I can't remember who that was. Uh, but, that was me. There's no, we don't yeah. even make any bones about it. It was me. I liked where they were, and I no longer do about four days after I said it. And so, uh, yeah, preseason college football playoff picks from your college football experts. Don't trust them. Yeah, I mean, I had one of my picks in my against the spread last week was Clemson minus the point. So I was right there with you. Um, but, yeah, it was – I also had TCU minus the points, which was the story kind of of college football nationally. But it was fun. It was just good to have it back. It was good on a Saturday to just flip through. And, and really when Twitter gets going, when uh, – you know, your phone starts pinging with all your friends watching different games. That's what we all kind of live for in this business. And we're getting some good stuff this weekend. I don't know about you. I mean, we've got some good games across the country, but I look at Iowa, Iowa State as just one of my favorite things. And you talk about college football and Twitter and all the kind of sicko components of college football. That game tends to have it all. Iowa carries a lot of that weight. Iowa State, Matt Campbell tend to get up to some silly stuff. They kind of land, in, to me, in the Nebraska range as well of fan bases that are absurdly committed in the best ways possible to their teams. I don't think there's a better fan base maybe than Nebraska. And we saw that with the volleyball last week. We, you see it when they're 3-9 and nine and they're still packing that stadium in Lincoln. I think Iowa in particular is kind of in that a similar range of just fandom and fever pitch, you know, following and so I, I love that game what what across the college football landscape this weekend interests you well I'm with you Iowa Iowa State's a little bit like you know Nottingham Forest and Everton in the Premier League mm -hmm. like if if you take a crap team and you put them against a good team it's usually not it's kind of like you know a negative and a positive together when you multiply them make a negative always and uh with the two kind of crap teams, it's almost like you've got this this stadium of 80,000 people. It's in Jack Trice, so 65,000 people this year, and all of them are just in the mud. Like the entire game is a fan base. You you have like – it's like this beautiful disaster every year, Iowa, Iowa State. So I'm looking forward to that again this year. I'm looking uh, – I, I, probably, I probably should have gone to Iowa and made a bet on it just out of – you know, kind of uh, reverence for how the off seasons have gone for both Iowa and Iowa State. But I love Old Miss Tulane this weekend uh, for kind of an off the board game. Tulane, you look at their schedule; they could they could theoretically run the table fairly easily if they can take care of Old Miss at home. 
I also like uh, Oregon-Texas Tech is a game I'm really interested in this week to see if the Red Raiders bounce back. And then, of course, all eyes are going to be on Texas-Alabama as well. So, yeah, it's a great weekend of college football. It's a good slate, and I think something tells me we're going to have a more entertaining game in Norman. Uh, you know, last weekend it was pretty clear in the opening minutes just the, the kind of mismatch we had between Oklahoma and Arkansas State. I don't think SMU is going to be anywhere close to that. In fact, I think it's going to be one of the toughest tests, certainly in the first month of the season for OU. And really, you look at the schedule, and it, we'll get to the Big 12 later on, but I think SMU um, really has a lot to throw at the Sooners, and we're going to learn a lot about them this weekend. I think the starting point, and we heard it all week from the coaching staff and players, there's a lot of respect between Brent Venables and, and Rhett Lashley and a lot of respect within that coaching staff for what they do at SMU. And that is play fast on offense. They run a lot of plays. They're up-tempo. It looks a lot like Jeff Lebby's offense. And so this is going to be a really different pace uh, for OU's defense from what it saw in week one. And we're going to get a better sense of where they're at, particularly in the secondary. They're going to throw on them, and they're going to test the secondary deep downfield. That means Gentry Williams is going to get tested in his second career start. It means, you know, Reggie Pearson – Billy Bowman, Peyton Bowen back there, Key Lawrence, all those guys in the in the safety room, they're going to get tested a lot more than they did a week ago, and we're going to we're going to see early on what this defense has and where it's at. Well, and I think that you're going to see more this week than last week how the younger players defensively, the guys especially who are in their first year in this Brent Venable system, will react to that tempo. Right? I mean, we saw Oklahoma's entire defense struggle with that at times last year. And you would think guys like Danny Stutzman, who have been there for a year and are kind of those defensive leaders, would be okay with it. But it's it's one thing for Danny Stutzman to know where to go if SMU is going fast, but is he also going to have to tell, you know, or have to be communicating with Desan McCullough or somebody else, you know, uh, probably a bad example, but, you know, somebody else, Trace Ford, is he going to need communication? All those things like, Sam Mays made this point. You can really tell a lot by a defense watching pre-snap on how much they chatter. And I think it's going to be good if you see Oklahoma getting lined up without much chatter on Saturday. And it's going to be quite the test for them. You are right. I'm also um, – I know we'll talk about this later, but I'm also interested to see what defensive line-wise Oklahoma brings this week. And we'll talk about that a little bit more here in a bit. But, yeah. Certainly. Well, you're, you're right. And, you know, you mentioned Hassan McCullough. He's a guy they may or may not have this weekend. We don't really know his status, but he left the Arkansas State game with an injury. We've seen him since in a boot on his left foot. Brent Venable said it's not a high ankle sprain, which is a relief uh, for the Sooners. But they may be without him this week. And, and that's going to leave, you know, an interesting hole in the, the depth of that cheetah position. Yeah. There's Justin Harrington there, and that's the benefit they have of having two starting level guys. But you know, behind him on the depth chart, Sam Omasigo and Shane Witter. But I would put my money maybe on Peyton Bowen getting some shots um, in that role. And again, you talk about first-year guys in the system who might get tested. If he's thrown into it, we're going to really see what Peyton Bowen has. We spoke to him the other night after practice. He felt really good about his debuts, feeling confident. Uh, he doesn't speak or really play like a first-year guy. But there is, again, a difference between Arkansas State uh, and and SMU and everything that's going to be coming their way. The other thing, SMU, they've got a pass rush. I think the defense, you know, on, on a Rhett Lashley team is going to be secondary always, but uh, they, they can rush the passer. So we're going to get um, a good look both at, at the pass protection for, for this offensive line at OU. And then 
we're nitpicking, but the running game last week, four and a half yards per carry. Can they get more push up front? And maybe if they can get some guys in rhythm, that was something they struggled with with the rotation last week. If you get a guy in rhythm, maybe you up that number and you're a little bit stronger there. Todd, bigger picture, SMU will not be uh, a group of five team when they see Oklahoma down the road. There's a return trip in this series. They'll be in the ACC. How do you how do you feel? I mean, do you think Atlantic Coast when you think Dallas, Texas? Do you think no. of SMU when you're talking about Virginia, Virginia Tech, Wake Forest, all those schools? No, but Garen and I talked about this uh, on one of the recent episodes of the Todd Pod. You don't think about uh, well, you you certainly don't think about SMU, but you really don't think about Cal and Stanford. That's the Got one it. that really like that's so crazy that it makes SMU seem more normal being in in the Atlantic Coast Conference. It's interesting, like regionally, it means less and less and less. And obviously, we found out now that in Power Five conferences, it means absolutely nothing. But SMU has always had the luxury of being in Dallas, Texas, and I was a little bitty baby when all this first happened. But it's pretty crazy in my lifetime. I remember watching the first game SMU was televised after the death penalty, and now like they're in the ACC, like they're they're getting they could possibly get an automatic bid to a playoff. Like it's just crazy in my lifetime how much college football has changed. And I don't think it should be understated what kind of superpower. I don't know about superpower, but this could go pretty fast there. It was 40-some-odd years ago that they were at the top of the college football world while they were going against NCAA rules on compensating players and all that. Now they can do it legally. Now there's a transfer portal. And now they're in a conference where we can – we'll talk more Clemson maybe. And I wouldn't call the ACC wide open or put SMU – there with programs that consistently recruit five-star guys and have won national titles, but why not? Why couldn't a, a school with with all the money that's that's there in Dallas and around that university uh, get to a Power Five conference? It's probably their only way to get to a Power Five conference right now and supercharge things in the NIL era. There's no, nothing holding them back from that, and it, it probably you know I, I, as you say, it, this is a weirder fit even more for Cal and and Stanford. But I think if you're looking at opportunities, Cal and Stanford, great. They have a landing spot now. SMU has a platform and a pathway to to supercharge itself. And so I think the move's weird. It's not natural. It's not regional. But if you're SMU, it's huge. Yeah, I love what SMU has done, though. What they've embraced in the transfer portal already is, you know what? There's going to be talent in the DFW Metro every year. And that talent is going to sign with now not just Texas, Oklahoma, Texas A&M. But Alabama, LSU, all those teams are now signing really good players out of the DFW Metro. And so what SMU has now done is said, we'll give it a couple years. We'll create good relationships with those players. In a couple years when they want to come home, they can come home, play at an ACC school now, which brings even more to that transfer. Like they can, And they can still make really good NIL money. Like They've really got a chance in the Dallas Metro area to, I'm with you, start winning some games pretty quick. It is perfect. It's that idea of a kid leaves one of the Metroplex high schools, goes to Texas or A&M or Bama or Georgia, Florida, whatever percentage of guys that doesn't work out for. They've got a place to come back now and they don't have to do it. Dropping down a level, they'll still be power five or whatever we're going to call it. Once we're settled here on realignment, it's they're in a power conference. They've got the money. There's, there's possibilities there. And I, I think Rhett Lashley, seems like maybe the coach to, to do it for them. And that's going to become a great job. If it ever opens up, that's a huge job. Uh, it, it, 
if, if Rhett Lashley doesn't hold on to it. But things are happening at SMU. We're going to see some of those explosive transfer guys this weekend, and they're going to be part of the test for the Sooners. But, Todd, we've watched cool. – Hey, cool branding, too. Love the pony on the helmet. Oh, the pony's good. We, You and I both agree on those powder blues, too. Yes. Know, where that's – anytime we can get more of those, that's that's what makes them a power conference team are those powder blues. Yeah, I agree with you. Outside of North Carolina, is anybody wearing them? Houston had that alternate. Tulane does. Tulane does every now and again. They wear them, and and guess what? They were, you know what? They were in a New Year's Six game last year. There's no surprise, right? Powder blue, go go, uh, New Year's Six. Kansas has them. We don't see them that often. Maybe if they wore them more often, they'd be in a New Year's Six game. Now, unfortunately, Unfortunately, in one AA, uh, the Citadel wears them, and Alabama beats their brains in about once a decade. And so does Columbia, who is uh, the last 20 years the worst of the Ivy League schools. So, yeah. And there's the full extensive history of uh, powder oh, blue uniforms. You know, you know who you know who else has powder blue? And you know who else has powder blue? The Maine Black Bears have a little powder blue, and they'll be coming to Norman next year. There might need to be a whole 5,000-word story just on those uniforms. Yes. Writing that one down now. Mike Sherman, prepare. That's going to be a fun one. Uh, Todd, back to the Sooners. We got to see Arkansas State, you know, a game that you got to take a lot with a grain of salt, and there's a lot of good in there. There wasn't a lot to nitpick, but right. there are questions still hovering here. We don't know uh, about the pass rush. We didn't learn maybe a ton. They were pretty pleased with it ultimately, but it was not a – at least in the stat book, a highly productive day. There's You can have questions about the secondary, the skill positions, that remains. What to you is that place you look at and say, man, I'm, I'm really curious and maybe we're going to find out more about it this weekend? I mean, I do think it's defensive line. And I think, you know, it's, it's going to be supercharged this weekend as well because Arkansas State didn't do them any favors in preparation by – by not really being uh, too cute in what they did offensively. I mean, Oklahoma didn't have to be anything more than vanilla defensively, and because of that, the defensive line wasn't asked to do a whole lot over the weekend. So I think now, you know, not only more plays, but obviously more complicated things that you've got to deal with as a defensive line, more complicated scheme for you. And then you throw on top of that that – the plays are happening quicker and you're still trying to rotate because it's still going to be hot and it's still going to be, you know, weather-wise a position where you need to get a lot of guys in and out and we're still early in the season and you want to see a lot of guys. Like I think that position is definitely one to keep an eye on this weekend. I think they rotated in. The number was 18 guys on the defensive line against Arkansas State. And while part of you says they're playing a better team and so they may not rotate in as many guys on, on in total – 87 Sooners played in that game. I don't know if they'll hit that number again because this is going to be a tougher opponent. I don't think they're necessarily going to be subbing in the the second team in waves at halftime like they did a a week ago. But for the defensive line, it's like they're not – maybe they won't put everybody in. But one of the strengths of this line now is that depth, is the fact that they can rotate. It was part of the problem a year ago where they just didn't have guys to to swap in there and, and rest throughout the game. They can do that now, so I think you're going to see them rotating plenty there. They may cut that number down, but that is a place where we're, we're still wondering, and we're wondering, you know, can they get after a quarterback? They move fast here. Can they keep up? Are they going to be able to rotate and keep the quality up? All things we didn't really have the opportunity to see, and, and they really never got tested on with Arkansas State, but it will be a bit different this weekend. 
Can I tell you as well, you said something earlier. I'm not that concerned about the offensive line, to be totally honest with you. I think offensive line more than any other position is affected by rotations. And there were a lot of rotations on Saturday. And I think once they kind of settle in on who the five are, and I think they probably know, but once those guys start to get the majority of the important snaps and series completely together and and put three and four and five series together, I really like what the offensive line does up front. Also, you got to remember last week, so many different guys touched the ball in the backfield. That affects it as well. So, um, you know, that's not to me as big of a concern. I think a lot of the guys are on defense this week, though, because that's the biggest – the biggest threat that SMU offers is what they can do on the offensive side of the ball. Well, you're right on that last point. And if, you know, if Oklahoma can score, the issue this weekend should be, can they slow down a really productive, fast moving offense? Because Oklahoma does its thing on offense against a a fine SMU defense. They'll score enough to win this game. The question is, is it going to be 38, 35 or 38, 20? Uh, And SMU isn't winning this game 13 to 10. That's not what's happening on Saturday. Um, but you're right on the offensive line. And if there's actually a position group, and it, this has been the case for the last two years, that I was really confident in, it, it is that unit. They're equipped. You're right. They rotated a lot. And they also, if you're just looking at the offensive line through the run game, the, that four and a half yards per carry, I think, is as much, if you want to put it on anything the offensive line did or the rotations, as it was the fact that they were just rotating in running backs every series and moving guys around. Jeff Lebby said it. They didn't hit a rhythm with any of them. And I think that was, I wouldn't say by design, but that's a function of rotating running backs the way they did. But the offensive line has, has been so confident through fall camp and into the early weeks of the season. Andrew Rame the other night, we talked to him. I think he got asked like four, a question broadly about the O-line and then about, you know, Savion Bird, about Walter Rouse. And for each one, he said, we're looking as a group to dominate and to mash people. And then, hey, what did you see from Walter Rouse? I saw a guy looking to dominate and mash people. Savion <laughs> right. Bird. Just another guy who wants to dominate and mash people. So there's a common, some common phrases coming out with that unit and plenty of confidence. I think we'll see them stand up this weekend. This weekend, they're kind of going to get hit by a pass rush they didn't see a week ago. So it'll be a good challenge, but I've got pretty good faith in, in where they stand. Yeah, I'm with you. It's, uh, it's going to be a much better challenge. It should at least give us something to watch in the second half, other than just, hey, it's Jackson Arnold for the first time. Indeed. Gosh, uh, let, let's hope we've got a game at least through uh, two and a half quarters. Uh, I do think the run game is another place to watch. I'll be curious about the carryover for the wide receivers. Do, J- do Jaden Gibson, Jacquez Petaway, Andrew Anthony, do they replicate what they did in any way? I mean, certainly you'd expect Andrew Anthony to do so. Jaden Gibson can go a long way to proving the consistency element here if he can keep it up. And, and those are two names that if they're performing – we stop asking a lot of questions about the wide receivers here and start kind of penciling in who the regular producers might be. It's early for that, but we right. need to, we're looking to see who those guys are and, and they were the ones who made the early pitch. What, what irony for you and for Barry and Jenny and Garen to come from a world where you've always had to worry about deadlines to, I don't know that you'll ever have a story written as early as you had the one written on Saturday against Arkansas state, right? <laughs> Yeah, it was a perfect newspaper story. I mean, it was about 12-15. You could have written that one. You could have written that about 12-15 and been good. I think I felt pretty confident about where we were headed about two minutes into the action. Yeah. Um, That, again, we've said it, I think, on every podcast we've done this week. um, The the state of Arkansas State and and how they looked was maybe the most surprising part uh, about the opener. But, Todd, 
away from OU and away from Arkansas State, SMU. Let's talk Big Big 12 and, and kind of college football uh, in the greater landscape. Who's got the biggest to worry about in, in the Big 12? Is it Tech, who lost it at Wyoming and now welcomes Oregon in a bit of scheduling nightmarishness that I'm, I argued with Garen about on, on his podcast this week? Baylor, OSU. I mean, even I'm not saying putting them in the same class, but Texas, what does Texas have to worry about? They go to Bama this weekend. We're going to know pretty quickly if, if Texas is really back or if we need to, to pump the brakes. Well, I think uh, Baylor and Tech obviously being 0-1 this week have big games. Yeah. I like Tech to bounce back. I think one of the reasons why Tech lost last week, uh, you know, Barry picked that game uh, in his picks in before week one. He said, I'm upset of the week, Wyoming over Texas Tech. And the reason why is because Laramie's a weird place to go play. Well, guess what? Lubbock's a weird place to go play. And now, now Oregon has to go play there. For Baylor to do what they did at home was a little bit eye-opening. I haven't had a chance to go back any further, but last night I was just kind of bored on my phone. And I went back to 2016, and every team that started 0-2 in their non-conference, Big 12 team, I mean, the the most wins I found was somebody finished three and nine. I mean, teams teams don't rebound from zero and two very often. Now, most teams don't start with at Wyoming and Oregon either, uh, which kind of Texas Tech is a little bit different. But for Baylor to start with Texas State and lose that game, that's that's as bad as like the year that they went one and eleven and lost at home to Liberty. Like that's yep. that kind of loss. So um, I'm really worried about Baylor and. You know, I heard I've already heard the conversation starting starting to happen on sports radio. But are we in a situation with Dave Aranda where we go, well, yeah, he won with Matt Rule's players, but what's he doing with his players? Has the team, you know, lost talent in the in the years that he's been the head coach? So I think that's a big question mark. And then obviously Texas Alabama is huge. I just don't know that Texas can. Last year Texas met Alabama physically, like at the line of scrimmage early on. Texas said. We are here. We're in this game. We're going to match you pound for pound. And that's that's real hard to do. It's even harder to do at Bryant-Denny Stadium. So, like, I, I just have a hard time thinking Texas is going to go in there and win the game. Uh, but I think this is also going to be a huge game for Quinn Ewers to see what he's made of because we know how Texas fans are, and if Quinn Ewers goes in there and struggles, there's going to start to be people calling for somebody uh, – you know, whether it's Arch Manning or somebody else to start getting some March snaps. March for Arch. Yeah. That's what we're going to call it, the March for Arch. Uh, they do really have to prove something, Texas. Um, to me, this is their – it's an early chance, and in a sense, it's a gimme. They, they can probably lose this game and still be fine as it relates, you know, obviously Big 12 stuff and, and even the playoff. I think this can be – this is, this won't hurt them as a loss as long as they show up and they look like the Texas team that we think – that many think they are the one picked to win the Big 12 to compete for the college football playoff. If it's if they're far off the pace, I think we're going to have to recalibrate just a little bit uh, the expectations. And in, in that sense, the expectations for the Big 12 and the college football playoff, because after Texas, you know, if you, if you knock them down a, a level, maybe to where we feel about Oklahoma or, or K-State, all teams, I think, will be in contention for that Big 12 title and in turn in contention, you know, to finish top 10, top 15 but we're not talking playoff necessarily uh, in that sense. And so Texas has a lot to prove this weekend on Baylor. I go back just two years 
to, I mean, even less than that, that 2021 Big 12 title game, Baylor was at, kind of at the top of the world at that point in a really quick turnaround with Dave Aranda. And now here we are, and it hasn't carried over. It hasn't lasted. Uh, right. You mentioned, you know, Matt Rule's guys. I've got a lot of faith in, in Dave Aranda as a head coach. I think he's brilliant and he's a great defensive mind. He, he brings a certain culture that, that really turned things around there quickly. However, um, it gets a little precarious. I, I, I would imagine he'd have at least another year. I don't even know. I say that without knowing the contract, but um, it it's amazing how things can change, how quickly they can change with a program like that and, and like they have with Baylor. Well, we, first of all, we, the Bulls, are always pulling for Dave Aranda. So uh, we hope that Dave Aranda gets the ship righted this weekend uh, when Utah comes to town. But then the other thing I was going to say is I, even though it's not the sexiest game, I find Kansas-Illinois this week very interesting on Friday night. Mm-hmm. Um, I, think, I think Illinois is going to go in and win that game personally. Uh, but I think it's a nice early season test for Kansas. It's a better – it's a better um, it's a better matchup than probably it seems like on paper because Illinois damn near got beat by Toledo last week, and you know Kansas just skated by against uh, nobody. So you know it's it's not a great matchup, but I really do think those are two teams that are kind of fighting in that middle area of both the Big Ten and the Big Twelve, and I, I kind of think Brett Bielema is going to go in and get a win. So that's that's one of the early games I'm excited about. I would not say this myself, Todd, but I've got friends in Columbia, Missouri, who would probably be fine if a sinkhole just kind of opened on that game between Kansas and <laughs> I didn't and think Illinois. about that, yeah. Yeah, it's just a little bowl game of the, uh, I don't know, the, the, the out-of-state Missouri rivals. Um, but I, I am intrigued by that. I'm really intrigued by Kansas. Like, year two, Jalen Daniels is going to play Friday night. He holds the keys to a lot of what made them good last year and what will make them good this year. And for what I just said, I will be, you know, pulling a bit for Kansas just this fall. Think of a program like that that's on the right tracks, that has somebody like Lance Leipold there. If you go to two straight bowl games, that's how you get things moving. And I think there's a path to six wins for them. And so um, I think that's one I'll have my eye on Friday night. Another one we'll all have our eyes on, Dion, Matt Rule, Colorado, Nebraska, in Boulder, it's going to be something. I mean, that, talk about the – we talked about kind of chaotic energy as it related to Iowa State and Iowa. Goodness, the fan bases at, uh, at Nebraska and at, at CU off the hook, particularly if we're going to get kind of some fireworks and, and maybe another Colorado win. I got to feel like uh, not only is Colorado-Nebraska a big rivalry, but I feel like Coach Prime – my thought is that probably 99% of Nebraska fans can't stand the way he runs his program. Like that's just kind of the vibe I get from Nebraska fans in general, right? They, which it, which is a little bit ironic with the rehab clinic that Tom Osborne ran back in the day. But um, it's it just kind of is a little bit of a – it always has been a clash of cultures, and I think maybe now more so than ever, uh, just in the way those fan bases operate, you know, in the – in the kind of team that wants to be the newest money doing things the newest way versus the team that just bathes itself in tradition in Nebraska. So I I'm really excited to watch that one. I'm a total sucker. Like I'm falling into the sucker bet on this one with my fake money. Nebraska is an underdog. Um, I don't think Nebraska is that much less talented than Colorado, if at all. 
And I think Colorado has got to be kind of on the horse a little bit, on the high horse after last week's win. It's a 10 a.m. local start in Boulder, which is wild to me. So um, I just think with all the weirdness around it, with everything that went on last week, Colorado seemed to celebrate that a lot. And it's a tough ask physically to get back up after a game where they ran so many plays last week against TCU against Nebraska this week. So I think Nebraska is going to go in there and win. And I'm probably going to regret saying that, but that's kind of how I feel about it. Stand by. I've just got to fire off a text here. Um, <laughs> At Deion Sanders. He's got the receipts on Todd Lisenby now. He's got the receipts on your doubt. Uh, a man who clearly does not believe, as Dion would say. Um, I don't. I think there's certainly an element there, like the, all the hype that they've gotten. There's going to be a lot. I mean, the, the campus, even for a 10 o'clock kick, I'm sure is going to be off the hook. There's a lot of energy there. There could be some bubble bursting. Todd, before we get to uh, a game of Liz in or Liz out, though, just give me your give me 60, 45, 60 seconds on Clemson, what you saw on Monday night, and maybe the bigger picture on Dabo, the portal, the whole thing. Well, I don't even think it takes 45, 60 seconds. I think you're watching a program getting passed by by the times. And for as old school as Nick Saban and guys like that may be, they have embraced how college football has changed and Dabo's fought back against it. And Clemson's not a good enough program and the ACC is not a good enough conference that Clemson can get away with that. So uh, there's not a good enough hotbed of players around Clemson to be able to do that. And I think you're seeing it and he better change. I think he's got to. I mean, we're far removed. There was the stat that went out the other day about Brent Venables' record or, or Dabo's record with Brent Venables there. As much as that might have been about the defenses, it probably had a lot to do as well with Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence, and their sure. collection of five-star skill guys that they just don't have anymore. So whether it's the recruiting trail and NIL or if it's the portal, they've got to they've got to get into the 21st century. And for a program that was ahead of the time, seemingly in some ways for so long, they now feel very behind them. Uh, and that's, I, I think, down in a lot of ways to just one man. Yeah. Todd, for the most important part of this deal, another game of Liz in, Liz out, where we give you rapid-fire questions, and you've got to tell us if you are Liz in or Liz out. We're going to start with OUSMU. Is this the toughest game on OU's schedule until they play Texas? They got Tulsa next, then they got Cincinnati, then Iowa State, and then Texas. I think there's an argument to be made. You Liz in or you Liz out on that? Can we go Liz on the fence? Because I I know nothing about Cincinnati right now, and they, points they, for creativity there. That was good. I, I was I'm rather conservative in my judgments on this stuff, but granted. How how about this? Here's here's how I will do this on the fence. I think SMU may be the most talented team Oklahoma plays before Texas, but I also think going to Cincinnati may be a tougher test than SMU at home this weekend. So I guess I'll go Liz out. I'll say Cincinnati's a tougher test. That's fair, and I, I think taking into account the trip, I think that Cincinnati trip shouldn't be underestimated. It's going to be their first Week 12 game. I mean, it's going to be right. a huge game there. And so wouldn't underestimate that part of it. I don't think we know enough about the Bearcats right now or OU to really know what kind of matchup that's going to be. But the, the road element and the fact that that's going to be the first Big 12 game, I'll grant you. And I do think that's um, – an interesting element to it. I might say that SMU still remains the toughest one, but here in Norman, that, that eases some things. All right, Todd, you Liz in or Liz out on exposed toes on an airplane? Like wearing like flip-flops or, or 
Personally, I'm Liz out because I don't have great toes. Mm-hmm. But if you've got, you know, it's, I'm, I don't have, I'm not, uh, you're not looking at Rex Ryan here. I don't have like a foot fetish or anything. But if you take care of your toes and you've got nice feet and they don't smell bad, I don't mind if they're out. I just don't want them touching me. It's a lot of variables, though. You got to hit a lot, check a lot of boxes. That's I, true. I'm Liz out for myself and, and for all others. Uh, Liz in or Liz out, Texas to hang with Bama into the final five minutes, uh, at least on Saturday. I'm going to say Liz out on this game. One of my picks this week against the spread was Bama minus the seven. Um, I think I think Texas will be in this game maybe until halftime, maybe a little bit after halftime, and then Bama pulls away. Waffle fries. Liz in, Liz out. Oh, Liz 100% in. They're the best fries. They are the like best. In fact, the best fry on planet Earth is the waffle sweet potato fry. It is the best fry on planet Earth, hands down, can't be beat. And let me just say, Chick-fil-A, the best part about the waffle fry at Chick-fil-A is it's the best acceptor of the sauce. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Like, mm-hmm. there's no other fry that you can sauce better than a waffle fry. So I'm a big uh, Polynesian sauce guy, and the waffle fry is a big part of that. Reasonable. How do you feel about the seasoned curly fry? It's probably two on the list, especially okay. when you get the – I call it the uh, the rabbi curly fry, the one that's like the really the really tight curl that's like this long. You know what I'm saying? That's the best. That's one. a good one. That's a good one. And like maybe just the right level of over or undercooked yet crispy. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Right, we're lined there. I'm glad we are. Uh, something we kind of hit on already, but has Clemson football already peaked under Dabo Sweeney? I'm gonna say yes. I'm Liz in on that. I think Clemson football is. Uh, it, well, and it's not it's not a coincidence that Florida State football is on the rise, too, right, as, as Clemson football seems mm-hmm. to kind of be on the fall. Uh, Liz in, Liz out, peeing in the pool. Are we being Liz honest? Be Liz honest, man. <laughs> well, let's, let's just say this. Sober Liz in had a few too many. No, sober Liz out had a few <laughs> too many Liz in. I'm not above it. I'm just saying. It depends on the company. It depends on the pool. I just assume everyone else is doing it. Um, I think that's kind of why I have a little bit of pool phobia, that and the man mm-hmm. boobs. But, you know, I'll say, I'll say I'm, you know, Liz out when I'm in my right mind. Coach Prime to win a conference title at Colorado. Liz in or Liz out in, in any of his years there. It kind of hinges on how long you think he'll stay. Yeah, I'll, I'll say Liz out because I think if he has any success, he tries to move on to something bigger and better. Onion burgers, Liz in, Liz out. I'm Liz in, but my girl, I don't really like onions that much, and my girlfriend's allergic to them. So I haven't had an mm-hmm. onion burger in quite a while, so we don't really seek out onion burger places. But if somebody wants to stop and have one, it's not a, it's not a deal breaker for me. I'm not an onion guy either. In fact, not that that's an understatement. I, I can't stand onions. So I'm not an onion burger guy. Burger guy. We can talk burgers all day, but no onion burgers for me. We're going to finish here. Brian Ferentz and the Iowa offense over uh, over 25 points against Iowa State this week. Liz in or Liz out? Well, they got 24 last week against who was that? Uh, I can't remember who it was against now. Mac team, it feels. Was it Akron, right. maybe? Uh, so- and the context here being that it's in his contract that he's got to hit like 25 a game to hit some bonus or incentive. So that's the number he's got to hover around this year. 
I like to think that he's going to be really close to the number and it's going to be near the last game of the year and the players are going to get together and they're going to go, do we want this guy back or not? Because if we don't, let's throw this game and let's, you know, not score as many points. I like to think that's what's going to happen. I also like to think maybe there's a scenario where they're throwing into the end zone up by 30 in the last game of the year to try to hit the number. So that's what I'm hoping Mm -hmm. for. I'm going to say Liz out on the average is 25 over the course of an entire season. It's reasonable. I did see the stats staggering that that was, they scored a, a, they had a passing touchdown on their first drive of the year. First time since 1991. That tells you that for whatever nepotism stuff, whatever issues you got with Brian Ferentz, this is institutional at Iowa and they'll be doing this. They've been doing it long before Brian Ferentz. They'll be doing it after him playing hard-nosed defense, producing cornerbacks and tight ends, and winning games, winning nine games a year, scoring 23 points a game. That is Iowa football. And this was the latest episode of the Letterman Jacket. Todd, thank you for joining me. As always, guys, you can find us. This pod, all of our pods, Todd Talk, all his stuff. He's got so much going on. Everything at the Seller Crowd Network, Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, everywhere you listen to stuff, you can find us. And Todd, we have tons of content. It's all about the tent uh, at selloutcrowd.com. It's coming steady. It's not stopping anytime soon. So give us a visit, join the crowd, and we'll talk to you next time.